0: stay right where you are because it's time for georgiacarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King georgiacarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms and now your host for georgiacarry.org radio Doug and Jesse King
1: good morning everyone you're listening to Georgia I am your host Doug King and, and of course this week is one of those special weeks. We're very, very excited about what's been happening this week and the inauguration. It is the end of an era, eight years of having to be afraid of what the next crazy thing coming down the pike is over and that is of course... A beautiful thing, especially when we talk about firearms and firearms rights. But I don't want to focus entirely on firearms on such a historic day and and the way things are going. This is just a a joyous time. I think that most of us who have struggled over the past, well, let's be honest, over the past 40 years (laughs) um, are looking forward to a brand new day. And I think that a lot of us who are excited about the the changes that are coming and the way that the the wind is blowing into a more populist and more um, shall we say voter centric way of looking at the world, I, I think that these are good things overall. I was listening to some of the older Donald Trump speeches this last week, and uh, some of them are uh, approaching 30 years old, and the Donald uh, gave some interesting speeches back in the day. I don't even want to go into the ones that TMZ likes to air, but the the one that got me was uh, they asked him how if if he was be willing. It was David Letterman. Would he be willing to consider uh, an appointed office or maybe running for office? He says, I don't have any intention of that right now. He says, well, what about in eight years or 12 years? And Trump looked at Letterman. This was like 1988. And he says, I don't know, David. Do you want to make America great again? Even then, Trump had this inkling of what the American people needed and it it's very Reagan esque and oh I know, there are Republicans out there who are, are are throwing their McDonald's scorching hot coffee cups at their radios right now at the thought that Doug is comparing Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump because Ronald Reagan is the the patron saint of the Republican conservatives and what it means to truly be conservative and and donald trump is far far from being a true conservative i listened to an interview with william f buckley's junior son and aside from talking just like his dad um junior son was was saying how trump isn't really a conservative. And I, I would agree with that. Trump's not a conservative. I don't think Trump is a liberal either, though. I think Trump is a populist. And that this is a, a major shift. And I've been saying this since 2015. I, I think if you want to pull up some old shows, if you want to go back to 2015, that you will find that um I have been pretty steadfastly saying that Trump's going to win the presidency, this was before Iowa. I, 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 Iowa was a year ago right now, and I just saw pop-up on Facebook the other day, me saying Trump's leading in the polls in Iowa, and everybody jumped on me. They were like, oh, Trump can't possibly win Iowa. Trump can't possibly win the nomination. Trump can't possibly win the election. Trump can't possibly turn this country around. And every time, he's proven to be able to overcome that through a a real groundswell movement of people who are blue-collar, average working Joes. And it it stretches across race, it stretches across gender, it stretches across country of origin, it stretches across socioeconomic status, that people who are not dependent on the government like Donald Trump. Now, when you start to get into his friends and the super-rich and the uber-rich and the... The, the billionaire set, they are not as impacted by the day-to-day as the average worker. So they don't feel it as hard, and they don't take as much interest in what the government's doing. I mean, of course, they would like to make more money. Everybody wants to make more money. But it doesn't really affect their bottom line because there is so much money at that level that they don't feel it on a day-to-day basis like a worker does. And a worker looks at Donald Trump as somebody that they can admire. Here's somebody who has done well. The average worker doesn't look at Donald Trump and say, I wish I could take away what he has or he shouldn't have that because he's not a nice man. The average worker looks at Donald Trump and says, Hey, I want that too. If I could, if, if I could do that, that would be awesome. I would be happy if I could do what he's done and get where he is. They don't want to take it away from him. They want to be him. They admire him. And when he's willing to step down from and take a pay cut, Cause let's be honest, he is, he is really, to do this, that man has jumped through hoops that no mere mortal would ever want to. The putting his businesses into the hands of his, his children, which is not as scary as a blind trust, but putting his business assets into the hands of others, walking away from a billion dollar empire, and taking on a role that will subject him to public scrutiny all the time, I mean, that's a pretty big pay cut, not just in pay and financial pay, but in in lots of other aspects as well. I mean, the, the amount of scrutiny he's going to be subjected to over the next eight years. And I I called that. OK, I, I want everyone to just make note eight years, not four. And I'm doing that in the day of his first inauguration. I'm actually looking forward to a meeting I have later this afternoon with one of the naysayers who laughed at me when I said Trump was going to win the election back in um, – well, that was in September when I think the writing should have been on the wall for everybody, but no one was paying attention to that. Oh, no, it was, it was October, and there's going to be an October surprise, and Clintons won't walk away with this thing. And, and I still had a friend even in October telling me that Trump was only in it to hand it over to Hillary – <laughs> like, yeah, you, you people, I mean, good night. Are you, is your head that far in the sand that you cannot see what the mood of the American public is? This was a huge backlash against everything that party politics stands for. And here we are. Here we are on, on, I'm, I'm recording this on Friday and it's Friday morning, which means I haven't heard his speech or been able to, to pull through anything that's going on. That's going to happen this afternoon into the weekend. But I think he is going to go into this and make a huge splash. I think he is going to, within an hour of the 3 o'clock parade, start signing executive orders, repealing DACA, repealing every Obama executive action in order, in turn, just knock them down one after the other. And I think that we're going to see huge changes in the way that this country is viewed you know, Reagan was seen as a loose cannon, and the whole world, they I mean, they would rather have had a Richard Nixon, you know, who went to China. They would rather have had Jimmy Carter who allowed Iran to get away with everything. They didn't want a Ronald Reagan who was going to go in there and and stir up things and, and not and buck the system. That's really what Reagan was doing in the international foreign policy realm. He bucked the system. And here we've got Donald Trump, who's going to be doing pretty much the same thing foreign policy-wise, but his, his focus is economic. He's looking at this as that he's going to bring back jobs, he's going to make our lives better, he's going to make us have better deals with foreign countries. This is all economics to him instead of power politics. And... I'm, I'm really interested to see how a economic president, because the presidency is not meant to handle economic things. The presidency's best tools are in foreign policy and, and inside the domestic, that's Congress and, and a whole bunch of different people's pull and the president really doesn't have that much power over the economy and the economy does things without the president even though he gets blamed for it. I mean, that's traditional. Real politique, look, uh, looking inside the water's edge on this, on on how the presidency functions. So this is a grand experiment. This is can the presidency shape and and reform economic policy? Can the presidency really make all of this? That he's promised happen. And I think that there are ways that the president working through Congress. And I think that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the rebirth of the imperial presidency where presidents are able to do things through Congress, that Congress works as an arm of the executive will to create the laws necessary to function certain policies and projects and and make things pull together in such a way that it, it becomes meaningful. I think that we're right there. And we've not had that in a long time. <coughs> Obama had Congress completely in his first two years, and that's when the Affordable Care Act was pushed through. It was during those first two years when Congress was was completely democratic, and Obama was the president. But even then, he couldn't get what he wanted. There wasn't enough political will in the Congress to do what Obama wanted. Obama. For all of his historic nature in trying to reshape this country into being a socialist utopia, for all of his efforts, he was inept. He could not even lead his own party. He could not get the American people behind him. It was a divided country, a sharply divided country. He won by a narrow margin, and he could not motivate people to to believe in what he was doing. Now, Trump comes in. And Trump walks along the exact same narrowly winning and maybe narrowly losing, depending on popular vote and how you feel about that, but narrowly winning the election, just like Bush narrowly won the election. And just like um, Clinton's second term, you know, I mean, we've got this kind of a, a sharp divide over the last 30 years of American politics. And they keep saying, well, we're a divided country. We're a divided country. People aren't aren't into working. Through we're at a commercial break. I'll be right back.
0: back to georgiacary.org radio with Doug and Jesse King.
1: Welcome back, everybody. So um, just before the break, I was discussing how the the Obama administration came in with a sharply divided country and he was never able to really motivate the country to get behind him on certain policy decisions that he was making. And that's because there, there, there is this like fundamental difference in the way that conservatives and liberals look at the world. And it's not something that we can come to a consensus on when it'd be like morning people and night owls, right? I mean, it's not that we can agree that eight o'clock is the appropriate time to be getting up. Because it's two hours late for the morning people and two hours early for the night owls. And it's not a compromise that everyone can get behind and agree on. They just need to be left to do their own thing because that's the way they function. Well, Democrats and Republicans have have been trying to court this middle ground while their electorate is more divergent. And the, uh, the more divergent the electorate becomes, the less this, this party politics of go along to get along and we'll do a little bit and then we'll take a little back and we'll always promise you that we can get it done next term becomes more and more distasteful. And that's what we've seen. That's what we've seen in the party politics of this last election cycle is that all of the two-step, the Potomac two-step, where we say we're going to do this, but we just need a little more, we just need a little more, we just need a little more to get it done, and just keep the wheels turning, was completely rejected. I mean, it was more than rejected; it was con- it was thrown out on its ear. Jeb Bush was the fundamental, quintessential, absolutely, um, the pinnacle of we, 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 politics as usual. And the voters in the primary system turned on him like rabid dogs. And then the, the people who were kind of go along to get along, the, the establishment elites, the Republican Party, went, oh, well, shoot, if we don't have Jeb Bush, we, we might as well go with uh, Ted Cruz because he's close enough. And the moment they turned on him, all of the electorate turned on Ted Cruz and tore him to bits. I guess it was Marco Rubio first and then Ted Cruz. But every person that, that the Republicans th- threw their weight behind as the go-along-to-get-along candidate was eviscerated in in the primaries. And Hillary Clinton was, too. I'm sorry for the Clinton supporters out there who listen to me, because I, I know there's, like, one of you. But if if you're a Clinton supporter and you look at the real primary results, not the superdelegates, but the real primary results... Nobody wanted her either. They wanted Bernie Sanders. And so what does Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders have in common? They have absolutely nothing in common in policy, nothing in common in procedure, nothing in common in outlook, but they have everything in common in principle because both were standing on their principles and not on what the polls were saying or what the, the, the people behind the curtain wanted them to do. Now, the Democrats do not have a free and open election system when it comes to picking their nominees because the superdelegates are able to override the will of the majority of the people. And because of that, you ended up with the nominee that they did, whereas the Republican system, being more open and fair and honest, was able to be overcome by an outsider who had money and was able to to push his way through, which is something that is, is terrifying to a political party wonk. But that's what happened. I mean, we had a, a political outsider who had fame and money and came in and was able to make waves and steal the election out from underneath the, the party elite, which is pretty much exactly the way I predicted that it was going to happen following the midterm elections in 2014. Uh, at the end of the 2014 election cycle, I wrote an open letter which described that this was the way to win the next major election. Uh, I was thinking gubernatorial in Georgia, but it, it was exactly the Trump plan. The Trump plan followed the open letter I wrote, which is on my Facebook page, on what was wrong with the party system here and what was needed in order to be able to win. And Trump took the same philosophy. I'm not saying he read my open letter. I, I mean, I'm not that that um, <laughs> egotistical. But I'm saying that there are other smart people out there who came to the exact same conclusions that I did. Looking at the evidence, it was the most reasonable conclusion to reach, even though it was completely off the wall in terms of what normal politics would dictate. So as we looked at what happened we have an outsider who is able to co-opt the system. And now he is at the reins of power, and he will be doing things that are not necessarily in the best interest of the Republican Party, not necessarily in the best interest of the Democratic Party, not necessarily even in his own best interests, but in what he believes is the right course to take to put this country back on track. Um, one of the interviews he he gave, he said, you know, he believes in an eye for an eye. And my goodness, are we seeing that play out, too? Look at what he's doing to CNN. I I think that Donald Trump is the refined and polished Jesse Ventura, that he is Jesse Ventura made palatable for the presidency. Ventura was the best governor I've ever lived under. Hey, Nathan Deal, if you're listening, I mean that with all my heart. Ventura was the best governor I've ever lived under. And the reason Ventura was such an amazing governor was because he took on both sides, he took on all sides, and he wasn't afraid to stand up to them. He made the governorship independent of the party system. Now, do I think that Donald Trump is going to make the presidency independent of the Republican Party? No. I mean, he's chosen Rance Priebus as, as his chief of staff, which is probably a good choice for getting things accomplished. And I think that Trump is looking at these four years as the opening act on his presidency that he knows he's going to have eight and he needs to get some policy moved through right now to be able to justify why he needs four more years, not four more years because if you want to get anything done, I need four more years, but four more years because I've already gotten all this done. Let's keep moving. And with that kind of a attitude, he can also help pick his own successor when it comes time for the next presidency. in, in 2024, Trump will be picking a successor who will be able to step up and keep the momentum going and keep the business of America running. And it's time that that we stopped looking at politics and economics as being two separate fields and realize that there is politics in economics and economics in politics. And I think that once once we were able to merge those two fields in such a way that we have meaningful understanding of the market forces that play on the political structure and the attitudes of the polis that influence the market dynamics, that will be a much more efficient country economically, and we will be a much more cohesive country politically. The ideologies that are being bantied about that are dividing this country that keeps conservatives and liberals apart are ideologies that are based on socio issues and not economic issues. Every American wants to do better. Every American wants to make more money, have more job security, be upwardly mobile, and see their lot in life improve. There is not a single person out there who wants to do worse. There are forces that make us willing to give up doing better because it's just not worth it. There's a point where I can get a raise, but I'm actually going to make less take-home because of the tax bracket I'll be moved into. Right now I get to take home X, but even with the, the raise, it will push me down so I'm actually bringing home less, and people stagnate. We can't be doing that. We can't be penalizing people for success. And I think Trump understands that we have created this penalty for success. Also, one of Trump's fundamental Prevailing philosophies is that America is a generous, loving nation that is being taken advantage of. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that we as a people, are giving and loving and kind and our hearts go out to other nations and we want to we we have so much prosperity that we like the Marshall Plan step into foreign aid for countries all over the globe to make sure that they can do a little better and get a little further and be willing partners with us and to promote goodwill and that's America. But how can we be $20 trillion in debt and still floating other countries? this It's time for all of this to come to a rational stop that we need to take care of ourselves. And if you guys don't like it, well, you know, by goodness, we've got the biggest military in the world, too. So if you want to pick a fight, pick a fight. But until then, treat us with respect and quit taking advantage of our generosity and our good nature. And I, I wish that there, the liberals out there who are the most generous and giving people, they will give away everyone else's money with all of their hearts and, and in sincerity. I wish they would just get it, that we can't afford to be this generous forever. We are going bankrupt. We are going to be destroyed as a country through our own generosity and goodwill. And Trump gets that. And Trump is going to move these things off to stop them and to make it so that these things don't, don't happen. Well, folks, we're coming up on, on the second commercial break, so I will be back in just a minute to talk a little bit more about Georgia and the upcoming legislative session.
0: And now, back to org radio with Doug and Jesse King.
1: Welcome back, everybody. So, um, Inauguration Day. Things are exciting. I, I've been kind of rehashing some of my philosophies on what Trump is standing for and what he's going to do. I am excited as all get out today. Everything is making me just chuckle and laugh and, and be thrilled. As I think about all of the inside puns and jokes, one of the biggest ones that got me going this morning was that Trump was going to church and the pastor, who's a Southern Baptist, who's, is preaching at the Episcopalian Church, that is the traditional venue for the pre-inauguration service, um, is preaching out of Nehemiah. Now, for those of you who are not as well versed in your Old Testament as, as the rest of us are, or or have as much understanding as the NPR hosts because they didn't pick up on this at all. Nehemiah was the man that God chose to go and build the wall around Jerusalem. Now, if that isn't some funny stuff, I don't know what is. So, um, yeah, it it is a, a wonderful, glorious day to be alive. And I feel great again. Do you feel great again? What a concept. So uh, here in Georgia, legislative session is getting up and running. We've got a lot of bills that are bubbling along and bubbling through and things that are going to need some attention. Um, There's a lot of things going on in the legislature this year. There's medical marijuana bills being reintroduced, which is a personal pet peeve of mine. While I, as most of you know, I don't even drink, but while I do not partake in any sort of mind-altering substance, even if I can get away with it under doctor's orders, because I just don't believe in doing that. I don't have any desire to take and destroy someone's life over um their choices, as long as it doesn't hurt another person. And I've been fighting a lot of marijuana cases lately, marijuana cases seem to be popping up extra hard right now, and I don't understand why. I don't know if it's a, a, a subconscious backlash against the legalization or if the legalization is spurring more people into doing it, which is causing a higher number of participants, which causes a higher arrest rate. I'm not sure, but there are a lot of people whose lives are getting reamed over right now by marijuana and the possession of it. And we as a society need to make a decision on if destroying these people's lives is worth it because it's not stopping it. All right. I mean, we've been punishing them and arresting them and driving them underground. And it's been, what, 70 years that we've been trying to stamp out marijuana usage in this country, and it's still doing it. I'm sorry. It's complete failure. So the question is not, do we want to stop people using marijuana? The question is, do we want to destroy people for using marijuana? And I can't come to a yes answer on that. That's one of the reasons why I defend people who have been accused of possessing marijuana is because I don't want to see their lives be destroyed over that choice. Now, would I make that choice? No, absolutely not. But that doesn't mean that I think their lives should be destroyed. There's some gun bills that are, are still awaiting introduction. There was, there's another assault weapons ban. We tried, I tried real hard to get the author of that to come and, and speak on the show. She won't, won't return my calls, won't come down and speak. I, I guess the call for an open debate is not that open of a call and is not that debatable. So here we are. I mean, I think that the the best thing that we can do is to get more politically active here. And we're going to have a climate that's going to be changing. Um, what we're going to see coming out of D.C. is going to be a changing climate. And we're going to see some, a new day unfold on a lot of, of different venues. I'm really thinking about the suppressors. I know that that gets, keeps getting bantied about. And Donald Trump has a, uh, advisory panel who are going to be talking to him about what needs to be done for firearms. And one of the members of that five person panel is the head of Silencer Co. I believe it's Silencer Co. So we've got an advocate who's going to be pushing to have the NFA change so that suppressors don't require the massive background check and waiting and tax stamp that other, um, NFA weapons require. I mean, a suppressor by itself is nothing. It's, it's, it's a muffler. Can you imagine if you had to pay a $200 tax every time you wanted to change your muffler on your car? Or for having a muffler on a car? I mean, it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. And anyone who knows suppressors knows that they're not the sort of thing where you're going to be able to walk up beside someone, shoot them, and no one even, in a crowded room, no one knows what happened. It's, it's just not what the movies make it out to be. And I think that if we were to Get a lot more of that into society that people become more comfortable with the idea because they don't understand what it is. Um, in other news, shot show has been happening this week. There's a whole bunch of new stuff coming out. I saw a suppressed Glock that cost fifteen hundred dollars that that kind of blew my mind. I'm still reeling from that one. Um, there's a lot of new products coming out. The Marine Corps adopted the PMag. I think it was Generation Three as, uh, acceptable magazines for Marine Corps use. That's a, a big boon to the PMAG people. I'm sure Magpul is dancing a little happy jig right now. Maybe looking for other people's products to, to, um, Claiming are their own. Who knows what, what's going on these days in different corporations. We're going to see more manufacturing brought back home. We're going to see more gun manufacturing brought back home. One thing that I, I think that would be a tremendous boost but that nobody in the firearms industry will ever lobby for is repealing Bill Clinton's executive order that banned the importation of firearms from China. Why won't Why won't that happen? Well, because Chinese firearms are cheap and of okay quality. If you've, you know, there's this made in China joke. And, yeah, you can buy some cheap stuff from China. But, you know, I'm looking down at at what time it is, and I keep thinking, you know, there's good things made in China, too. Things that are are of impeccable quality and high-end stuff and still made cheaply. Thousands of dollars cheaper than, than... um, comparative products. So China's manufacturing is there. And if we could get into buying firearms from them, you would see $200 1911s and you'd see, you know, $150 Glocks and you'd see $300 M1s coming back into this country. <laughs> and I would like to see that, but Remington and Springfield and, and all these other countries don't want to see that. They've, you know, made this a, a, a home economy thing and, and are, keeping the prices high. I don't think that Trump would really be much for removing that kind of ban and letting those goods flow into this country because it will take American jobs away. And he'd rather us pay more for our guns and have more American jobs and pay less for our guns and have more Chinese jobs. And that's pretty stereotypical of who Donald Trump is. So I don't think that that's something that's ever going to change. Um, We're going to actually probably see a lot more tariffs put in place and import restrictions and banning on importing things in order to create more of an American job market, which I guess time will tell. I mean, if you're an Adam Smith economist, if you believe in free trade, then this is the dark ages. If we come out of this and instead of being $20 in debt, are a prosperous, healthy nation economically, morally and socially, then maybe – Adam Smith was wrong. Maybe this will be the great repudiation of free trade and that tariffs and protectionism actually help a country grow. And maybe, you know, we we need to move away from what George W. Bush, H.W. Bush was pushing in a new world order where we're just part of a cog in the machine and be more jingoistic and more American-centric and more we need to take care of our own. Maybe this is the ultimate shift that brings America back to being a superpower instead of just being part of a league of nations. I don't know. I, I, I hear people already starting to make accusations that, that this is fascism, which it's not, it's protectionism, but it's not fascism, that this is the beginning of, of a megalomaniac and, and the dive into, uh, geopolitical disaster i i can't see that in donald trump and i can't see that in the american people we're not expansionistic we haven't been through the sort of calamities that force a nation into taking those kind of hard line stands military aggression being the the predominant choice in, in expanding your borders and creating more wealth i mean Germany was late to the game in the colonial experience, which really drove its aggression in World War One, World War Two. I mean, it, it all flowed. From these bad economic choices. And I think America could get there. I think America could in a 100 years of failed socialist economic policy that brought us to our knees. Sure. But we're not there and we're turning things around now. So I think that overall that we've got a much brighter future today than we had four years ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago or 16 years ago. Because at the end of the Clinton administration, we were on track for paying off the national debt. We were succeeding. And at the end of the Obama administration, we have the the highest national debt in U.S. history by orders of magnitude that we cannot even fathom as human beings. And it's time that we got to do something different. If free trade got us here, then maybe protectionism will get us out. I don't know. I'm not an economist and don't even pretend to be one. I just know that there are massive changes that need to take place in order to put this country back on track. And we've got to get there through innovative and new thinking, new thinking about the way we do things, and new thinking about the way that the world works, new thinking about what's important. And our what's important isn't necessarily our allies. What's important is our people. And I think that Donald Trump gets that. We're at a commercial break. I'll be right back.
0: And now, back to GeorgiaCary.org radio with Doug and Jesse King.
1: Welcome back, everybody. So... Um, we're in our final segment and I'm glad that you have stuck around to this point. It's time for me to renew my membership for GeorgiaCarry.org, And this is, you know, one of those yearly things. I am not a life member. I I haven't had the $500 to pony up. So I do my bid every year, $20 a year. And I, I put my money in and, and get a new yearly membership. And it's something that you need to do too. The, the advantage is, and I'll tell you, I don't get a lot of emails. In fact, I wish I got more emails. I wish I'd get a few emails from from maybe Jerry Henry telling me what he'd like to hear on the show. But um, <laughs> I'd like to get a few more emails from you guys, too. But the, uh, the emails that I get from the organization are few and far between. There's the updates in the legislative session. There's information about uh, upcoming fundraisers, which happen maybe three times a year. There are some uh, notifications of... Uh, chapter meetings and things that are going on in the community and where Georgia carries Carrie's going to be with a gun show or in um, a local festival. But by and large, it, it's pretty silent. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that not every week that there is some calamity that requires me to donate money for. In fact, the only money they've ever asked me for was the $20 a year. So if you want to be the most informed person when it comes to Georgia politics on firearms and what's happening to your Second Amendment rights, you need to be a member of org. And the easiest way to be a member is to go to o r g and click Join Now. For $20 a year or $500 for a lifetime, you'll be a member with all of the privileges and immunities of being a org member and knowing where to be, when to be, who to contact, and what needs to be done in order to safeguard. Your rights. So let's say that you have an aversion or an inability to get online to, to sign up. You can sign up at any gun show. In fact, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my twenty dollar bill and go to a gun show this weekend. Find a GeorgiaCarry.org booth staff entirely by GeorgiaCarry.org volunteers and hand over my twenty bucks and get my membership renewed. And joining is just as easy. And even if you are a little bit uh, reluctant, that you're not real sure if this is for you, go to a chapter meeting. Go to the website and check up on chapter meetings, because at a chapter meeting, there will be people of like mind and like temperament, people who want to enjoy some good food or maybe some recreational shooting, talk about politics. You can meet a board member and uh, find out what's happening in your community with local ordinances and all the other things that are going on. And there you can join as well. So... It's an important step to take so that you are up-to-date, informed, and able to to react to the things that are happening underneath the Gold Dome this year. That being said, we spent a lot of time today talking about the inauguration and, and the incoming president. Um, I am sorry to all of the listeners out there who supported one of the other guys, whether it be... Um, Hillary Clinton or Gary Johnson or Jill Stein or any of those other people who couldn't possibly get on a ballot if their life depended on it. I'm sorry that your candidate did not triumph, but I can tell you why your candidate did not triumph. And it's because they didn't tap into the mood and the feeling of the people the way Donald Trump did. Donald Trump carried the majority of the states because, and in a vast majority of the states, 300, what is it, 306 total electoral votes the reason is because Donald Trump understands what's going on in the American people and understand he understands the American mindset he understands what is happening to this country and has touched on to the pulse of the electorate now does that mean that does that translate to him having his finger on the pulse of, of most Americans probably not Because most Americans do not understand what's going on in this country. But I think when we start to talk about educated Americans, we start to talk about Americans who understand economics, who understand the repercussions of our immense generosity, that he does represent those Americans really well. The Americans who want free college, who want free this, free that, who don't want to have to pay taxes and who want to make other people pay for it, he don't represent them. He says, you know, he wants to do better for all Americans, and he does. He will make a country that is better for even the people who want all the free stuff. They will have, it will be more market efficiency. They will be able to get better jobs. They'll be able to afford the stuff that they want, even if it's not free. And they will be able to take care of themselves like their grandparents did. Does he represent them? Yes. Is he going to do what they want? Absolutely not. And I think that we're going to be in for a rough rough four years. I am looking out of the window here down in Studio One in, in our, our beautiful News Talk 1160 WCFO AM radio station booth here, looking out on downtown. And it is just about time for the protesters to start marching here in Atlanta preceding the inauguration. And God bless them for it. I hope that everybody has the right to free speech. I don't care if if my speech is offensive or if your speech is offensive, I think that you should have a, the ability to say it and live with the repercussions of doing it just because it's free speech. Doesn't mean that there aren't repercussions for what you believe and what you think and go out there and protest and show your absolute and undeniable misunderstanding of what politics is in this country and what is important Go ahead and demonstrate it. Open your mouth and remove all doubt, as Abraham Lincoln would say. Is that really a Lincoln quote? I need somebody to fact check me on that one, if that's really a Lincoln quote. I'm looking at a country that can do better, and that it's time for us to stop asking what this country is going to do for us, and to start asking what can we do for ourselves. I think that Jack Kennedy had it wrong. The question shouldn't be, what can you do for your country? The question is, what can you do for yourself? What can you do to make your life a better life? What can you do to give yourself more opportunities? What can you do to make yourself productive? That'll benefit the economy. That'll benefit your country. That'll benefit your neighbors and benefit your community. But it benefits all those things secondarily to it benefiting you. And if you really do benefit yourself, if you come to the point where you understand that you have to work for a living, you have to take care of yourself, you have to do what is best for you, then everyone else will fall in place and it will all work out in the end. Some of us are are late coming to that realization. Some of us knew it a long time ago. But whether you're new to the idea of individual responsibility and and making others accountable to themselves and for themselves, or if you've been espousing it for 34 years, it does not matter. What matters is what goes forward from today. And today is a day of a a new day in America. And for some of us, it's a bright morning with the sun coming up and piercing through the clouds and showing us a better day. For others, it's a time of (laughs) morning. where they lament that their political ideology, that their golden child, and that their way of looking at the world has failed. And it has. And I would love to be able to christen and say that Barack Obama was our last liberal president. I even would be happy to say that he was our last Democrat president, but I don't think that that's true. I think the Democrat Party is going to have to go through some revisions And start to look at the world in a different way when Trump proves that we can be a prosperous nation. When Trump brings us around and gets us to the point where we are talking about eliminating the national debt again. Where that is an actual point of discussion on whether this is something that we should do or not. Liberalism will have to take a a back seat, at least for a generation. (coughs) Now, unfortunately... All failed ideologies circle back around again. Marxism was failed and then it circled back around and was adopted in in Russia and it failed in Russia and it will circle back around and be adopted again. I can guarantee it. There will be a new place where it springs up. Liberalism is the same thing. The idea that you should be able to take from another person the the fruits of their labor is not a new idea. It flourished in Rome. It'll flourish here. It'll flourish in some other place next. But we have this golden opportunity. We have this moment in the sun to stand up and look at the world differently. And by God, we're taking it. As God is my witness, these next years, I am going to be crying out to everyone who will listen that we need to take the reins of power and make people accountable, make our politicians accountable, and make changes that will mean meaningful, meaningful changes for our children and our children's future. Folks, I am seriously short on time to be trying to make this point as, as impassioned as I wish I could to you. But we've got to do something. We have finally got somebody in office who listens to us, who really listens to us as the people. We have a president who uses Twitter. (laughs) When I went and saw him speak, it was one of the best quotes he gave. And I don't agree with everything the man does, not by a long shot, right? But he says, Having Twitter is like owning the New York Times because he can get his message directly to the people and we can get our messages directly to him. And he listens and things change. Real change. Not that hopey changey thing that we were all promised eight years ago. Real change. Anyway, that's it for this show. I will be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. You all get out there, take your kids, go shooting. Watch the inauguration. I know it's already too late for that. Rewatch the inauguration. Maybe you DVR it. It'll be a good time.
0: This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms georgiacary.org radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.